Hi, and welcome to Drug Bites, the pharmacology podcast from MedChutes. In today's podcast, we're going to be discussing non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and aspirin. This is a follow-up to last podcast, which was looking at opioids and other methods of analgesia. Today's podcast delves a lot into the arachidonic acid pathway, which I will explain, but definitely makes a lot more sense if you look it up in the show notes while you're listening, or but just before listening. Before we get started, I wanted to give a few quick updates on MedChutes. So we've had a few issues with the MedChutes website over the past few days. The good news is, is that it's now live and it's now functional. However, it doesn't look as pretty as it used to. We're still trying to figure out what went wrong, but the good news is that you can still access the show notes, you can access all the videos, and you can still access the podcast. More good news as well, there are a few new videos out on the MedShoots YouTube page. There's a video that's been released on COVID-19 and pandemics in general, and that's looking at infection modeling, the SIR model, what is an R naught and trying to apply those concepts to COVID-19. There's also a new video out on shock, uh, so physiological shock, looking at cardiogenic shock, septic shock, uh, distributive shock, all those kinds of things. So they're definitely worth checking out. As always, if you've got anything in particular that you want covered, feel free to send us an email or a message. You can email us at medchute at gmail.com you can also tweet at us. We're on Twitter as MedChutes. We also have a brand new Facebook page, so make sure you go and drop that a like. That's just MedChutes, so facebook.com forward slash MedChutes. You can message the page for your suggestions there, or you can leave us a comment on our YouTube channel. All right, let's get started with today's topic then. So today we're discussing NSAIDs and aspirin, and to understand how these drugs work, you really need to understand the arachidonic acid pathway. The arachidonic acid pathway is how we go uh, essentially from phospholipids in the membrane through to the prostaglandins, which result in fever, pain, sensitization of nerve endings, that kind of thing. The arachidonic acid pathway is also involved in the production of leukotrienes, which play a really big role in asthma and other respiratory conditions. The the arachidonic acid pathway is also where steroids act to inhibit the inflammatory response. How it works is there are phospholipids in the membrane and they are converted to arachidonic acid via phospholipase. From arachidonic acid, there are two pathways. The first operates via lipooxygenase, and that develops the leukotrienes. These are inflammatory and result in bronchoconstriction and other things. The other pathway that it can go down is the one mediated by the COX enzymes. That's the cyclooxygenase enzymes. There's a COX-1 enzyme and a COX-2. COX-1 and 2 work together to produce prostaglandins. Prostaglandins include things like thromboxane, prostacyclin, PGE2, and numerous others as well. Those are the three key ones though. Prostaglandins have multiple effects. Some of them are good and desirable, others less so. So thromboxane is produced predominantly by platelets and it's a pro-thrombotic, it's a pro-platelet aggregation molecule. When platelets release thromboxane, it causes them to adhere together uh, to help form a, a clot. 
Prostaglandins are also involved in things like mucus secretion, vasodilation, renal artery control and vasodilation, antiplatelet aggregation, uh, and numerous other things. They also involve PGE2 as what stimulates a fever by activating areas of the hypothalamus, uh, resulting in raising the set point. COX-1 is, uh, active constitu- is constitutively active within cells, uh, which means it's running all the time. COX-2 seems to be predominantly upregulated in an inflammatory response, and this will become relevant a little bit later on. Anti-inflammatory agents, so steroids and the NSAIDs, NSAIDs standing for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, work by modulating the arachidonic acid pathway. Steroids act right at the beginning, so steroids inhibit phospholipase and they prevent all products of the pathway downstream, so you don't get any leukotrienes being formed and you don't get any prostaglandins being formed. Most NSAIDs are COX inhibitors. NSAIDs are classed as either non-selective, and that includes things like ibuprofen, aspirin, and diclofenac, or COX-2 selective, such as celecoxib. Prostaglandins have a myriad of activities in the body, and only some of these are inflammatory. Because of that, when you give someone a non-selective COX inhibitor, you're going to cause some negative side effects as well as the intended result. Because of this, people that are on long-term NSAIDs for things like musculoskeletal injuries, back pain, that kind of thing, are often put on protective mechanisms. So we mentioned before some of the things that prostaglandins are involved with. So as well as being involved in the inflammatory response, so that vasodilation that PGE2 causes also contributes to edema uh, and swelling and impaired healing, all those kinds of things. So by blocking that, you're going to prevent the swelling and the secondary kind of injuries involved in a musculoskeletal injury. And by stopping prostaglandins, you also help prevent some of the sensitization of nociceptive receptors, which helps uh, decrease pain. By blocking PGE2, you can also block uh, fever. However, giving someone a COX inhibitor, so an NSAID, or steroids, can also mean that you get less mucus secretion in the gut. And that mucus secretion is really important because it helps prevent the gut from the acid within the stomach. So by decreasing that mucus secretion, you're exposing the stomach lining to more acid and you can develop ulcers. Prostaglandins also really important in renal artery control. So there's a bit of a feedback loop that runs via the kidneys that results in dilation of the renal artery using prostaglandins. If we block prostaglandins, we can start hypoperfusing the kidney and that can lead to acute kidney injury. This has led to a phenomenon called the triple whammy. And yes, that is the real medical name for it. The triple whammy is someone who's on a diuretic, an ACE inhibitor, and an NSAID. So typically people will be put on a diuretic and a ACE inhibitor uh, because they've got heart failure or some condition like that, because both of those things help uh, reduce fluid overload and help reduce the symptoms associated with that, uh, associated with pulmonary edema, associated with swollen legs, all that kind of thing. However, if the patient isn't properly counseled, patients on ACE inhibitors and diuretics can sometimes go to the shops and buy some ibuprofen or something over the counter. And what that does is that the kidneys are working harder because of the diuretics 
and they're already losing some of those auto-regulatory mechanisms because of the ACE inhibitor, because we know ACE is involved in the efferent arterial vasodilation, or that, yeah, efferent, um, or afferent, sorry, afferent arterial vasodilation. And because of that, uh, when you then give them an NSAID, you further restrict the kidney's ability to vasodilate and keep itself perfused, and in doing so, you can induce an AKI, an acute kidney injury. Because prostaglandins have both positive and negative effects in the body, or perceived negative effects, we try to be a little bit more selective uh, in the drugs that we, in the enzymes that we were targeting, to try and avoid those side effects of the uh, mucosal irritation and the kidney injury. Because of that, and because COX-1 was the one that was seen to be kind of running constitutively in all cells, and COX-2 was the one that was induced in inflammation, we develop drugs that are selective COX-2 inhibitors rather than non-selective inhibitors. Those COX-2 inhibitors include drugs like celecoxib. The idea behind this was that it wouldn't inhibit the kind of constitutive production of prostaglandins that are involved in producing mucus secretion and affecting the kidneys, but it would target the inflammatory prostaglandin synthesis, and therefore you would get less side effects. So celecoxib does reduce gastric side effects uh, according to clinical trials. However, it has no effect on kidney injury. So celecoxib can still cause kidney injury and can still contribute to the triple whammy. There's also some evidence that celecoxib and COX-2 inhibitors more broadly may be associated with increased cardiovascular risk. So that's NSAIDs more broadly. And one of the things I will mention, is, as well as the gastric side effects and the kidney side effects, most NSAIDs are also associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. The exception to this is aspirin. Aspirin is a special case NSAID, and it's really interesting. Aspirin is associated with lower risk of cardiovascular mortality, cardiovascular disease. We use it as an antiplatelet agent. It's really commonly used in the community. So we use low-dose aspirin instead of high-dose aspirin when we're using it for prophylaxis and cardiovascular risk. The reason for this is to do with the concept of first-pass metabolism. So when we have a headache, we need a certain level of aspirin or NSAID to get into the bloodstream and the peripheral bloodstream, the systemic bloodstream, so that we can get to the brain and to the meninges and help regulate the pain response there. However, when we're using it as uh, prophylaxis for thrombosis and when we're using it as an antiplatelet agent, it doesn't actually need to have systemic effects. When we take it orally, all of the drug is absorbed uh, in the gut and before it hits the systemic circulation, it first has to pass through the liver. The metabolism that occurs in the liver before it hits the systemic circulation is known as first-pass metabolism. And for that reason... When we want it, the drug to hit the systemic circulation, we need to give much bigger doses. So for in the case of aspirin, uh, when we want to use it for a headache, we give 300 to 600 milligrams of aspirin for pain relief. When we're using it as low-dose aspirin for prophylaxis and cardiovascular risk, we only give 100 milligrams. The reason for that is that we it doesn't need to get past the liver, so we don't mind if it all gets... Uh, metabolized by the liver and none of it gets systemic because its mechanism of action occurs during the period of the gut to the liver.
In the portal circulation, what happens is aspirin binds COX and irreversibly inhibits it, virus inhalation. So once that COX has been bound by the aspirin, it no longer works. And that applies to both COX-1 and COX-2. For platelets, this is a big deal because platelets are cell fragments and they don't have nuclei. So once they enter the circulation and once they break off from their megakarrier site, they have all the proteins within them that they will have for the rest of their lifespan. They can't synthesize new proteins. So once their COX is irreversibly inhibited, they can no longer use any COX. They can't make more COX. They now can't make any prostacyclins. And in particular, they can't make thromboxane. And remember, thromboxane is that prostaglandin, which results in platelet aggregation. The endothelium within the portal tract also are inhibited. Their COX is also inhibited. But the endothelium still have nuclei. So they are without COX for maybe a couple of hours, but eventually they resynthesize it. And the endothelia are producing prostacyclin. And prostacyclin is an anti-platelet aggregation prostaglandin. So in most people, and in most healthy people, there's this healthy balance between thromboxane production and platelets and prostacyclin production in the endothelium. What we do when we give low-dose aspirin is we start to throw the weights more in favor of the prostacyclin and have that antiplatelet effect because the platelets are going to be permanently inhibited from aggregating for the lifespan of that platelet, whereas the endothelium will just replace the cox, they'll keep producing prostacyclin, and there'll be a less, less risk of thrombosis occurring. That explains part of the cardiovascular risk benefit for aspirin, the fact that it targets thromboxane more so than prostacyclin, whereas other NSAIDs do have an effect on both prostacyclin and thromboxane, and they have that effect to various extents, and so a lot of them also inhibit the prostacyclin quite extensively. That explains part of the benefit, but aspirin also has a different benefit as well. This is a little bit complicated, but I think it's really interesting. So when aspirin binds to COX and acetylates it, and thereby permanently inhibits it, rather than completely switching the enzyme off, all it does is it shifts where it acts in the pathway. So rather than converting arachidonic acid into those prostaglandins, what the acetylated COX does is it actually starts producing aspirin-triggered lipoxins. These lipoxins are anti-inflammatory, anti-fibrotic, and pro-resolution. So in that way, they are promoting healing responses. They're helping prevent over-fibrosis, and fibrosis is bad because it replaces functional tissue with non-functional tissue. So it means that we keep a higher proportion of functional tissue, we help combat inflammatory responses, and we promote a healing response. So to summarize that really quickly... NSAIDs and aspirin and steroids all work through this arachidonic acid pathway. That pathway starts with phospholipids in the membrane, which converted to arachidonic acid via phospholipase. COX-1 and COX-2 then convert the arachidonic acid via a multitude of steps to prostaglandins. Prostaglandins have both good and bad effects, and when we use NSAIDs, we cause inhibition of both the good and the bad prostaglandins. That means that while we might reduce fever and reduce swelling and reduce pain, we also reduce the protective mucus in the gut and we also expose the kidneys to hypoperfusion. 
Because of that, we need to be careful on the populations that we use this drug with, and we want to make sure that people aren't on them for long periods of time. Aspirin is a special case of NSAID, and we use low-dose aspirin to inhibit platelets rather than as a pain uh, relief agent. When aspirin irreversibly inhibits COX, it not only inhibits it, but the acetylation causes it to start producing aspirin-triggered lipoxins, which promote healing and uh, resolution of inflammation. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening in. If you have any feedback, we'd always love to hear it. You can get in touch via medshoots.wordpress.com or by sending us an email, medshoot at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, as well as Reddit. Uh, Just search MedChutes on any of those forums. As always, make sure you check the show notes. This one in particular has got a few resources that you might enjoy reading up on if you found this topic enjoyable. And the show notes are also really important for this one to try and visualize what's happening with the arachidonic acid pathway. There's a lot of resources online for this, but I think that they can get a bit complicated, and so I've tried to do a summarized diagram of it. Thanks very much for listening in, uh, and keep an ear out for our next episode. Thanks very much.